Hey, TIW Mafia, it's Yeti. I want to take a minute here real quick uh, and talk about today's podcast. Uh, today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate, ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo in your podcast. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot co and be sure to add our podcast in the how did you hear about us podgo section application what's up tiw mafia jp here with big josh we're chilling with another uh another guest tonight uh i think last the last two weeks we've had sort of uh i wouldn't call him a younger wrestler but a wrestler who was still current and uh really making a name for himself and now we get a guy who made a name for himself and Got out of wrestling, has written a book, and does uh, some incredible yoga, like things that I, I couldn't imagine doing. And that's Mr. Knuckles Nelson, uh, a.k.a. Brendan Higgins, as far as the book is concerned. Um, how are you doing tonight? Oh, thanks for having me on tonight, guys. It's great to be here with you. I'm doing awesome. And the, like Just to hit your credentials, three-time NWA World Tag Champ? Three times, yeah. Three different partners. That's... Uh, how many people can say that? At least was, one. Not many. And I can <laughs> fact check that for sure. <laughs> well, Josh, so I was always an NWA New England fan, having grown up in Boston. Josh is like an NWA fan. He he's up in Montana, so like everything he gets is on TV. Oh, yeah, nice. everything. Everything it's, I consume um, is two dimensional. No. <laughs> you you were older when you got into wrestling, right? When you not when you got into wrestling, but when you started, when you broke in, I did. Like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with wrestling. Like I'm sure you guys were. It was like I loved all the all the sports. I'm a New England guy. I love the Celtics and the Patriots and the Red Sox and the Bruins. But wrestling was head and shoulders above everything. And as I got older and I became a teenager and into my 20s, it got so bad I had to start doing it. That's- Out of respect, I didn't interrupt him and tell him we just lost half our audience because of those teams. So <laughs> I never have I never have anybody on my side as far as the sports. Well, Josh, do they do they even have sports teams in Montana? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> he's, he's a Steelers fan. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a big time Steelers fan. So my my uh my submission to any Patriots fan is the fact that uh Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> Uh, asked Tom Brady to ha- uh, have a signed jersey, and then he went ahead and hung it in his office. So that's that tells you where that's at. Nice. And that was a that was a good Brady jersey. That was a Patriots jersey. Jesus. <laughs> now, flip me some. Flip me some. Flip me some dish. I'll let you, you win. Flip me some dish, okay? You were trained by uh, Bob Evans and uh, the late great Nick Steele. Yeah, I was trained by Bob. Uh, Nick and a guy named Brian Breger, who was um, from Yankee Pro Wrestling, and he was pri- the primary trainer. This was like in the early 90s, and a lot of people don't know the name Brian Breger, but he did a lot of um, work as an extra and a jobber in WWF. Like if you remember the time that Papa Shango, his um, – He's his the house lights came down, and when they came back up, his opponent his opponent's boots were on fire, and okay. that was Brian. That was Brian. That was pretty cool. That's a that's, that's awesome. a little claim to fame. Now yeah, you and, and Brian also told us that they let him keep the boots. When, when you when somebody when, like when you say you were trained by by three individuals, is that different styles? 
um, just because of necessity? Like, how did that work for you as far as the training goes? Like, when, when people talk about this and they look at Knuckles Nelson and they're like, okay, I'm going to research this guy. I want to understand. And, and when they, when we talk about this, but we don't really touch on it, and this is one of those opportunities I think we can because yeah, um, it, it's, I guess it's different for me because these are old trainers and you mentioned a name that people may not have uh, heard before. So mm-hmm. we, I just like to take the time to, to try and understand like, um, like different trainers out of necessity or just um, maturation or, or how did that work for you? Well, what happened was I, I started out in the very, very early stages at what would be considered a glorified backyard group. And they actually had a show one time and a guy walked up to me after the show and it was Bob Evans. And he said, um, I like what I just saw in the ring. If you want to ever become a trained professional wrestler and learn the art of pro wrestling, we have a school in Massachusetts. And it, that was my first, my first time being in the right place at the right time. And that happened to me a lot over the years in wrestling. So I took Bob up on his offer and, and we went up to um, Freetown, Massachusetts to, it was called Coastal Pro Wrestling. And we went to the Coastal Pro Wrestling. Me and a friend of mine, his, his wrestling name was Clinton Rampage. He really didn't wrestle that long. But uh, when we got there, um, we went from this backyard group to a real professional wrestling school where guys were in the ring with boots and gear. And um, everybody knew what they were doing. And um, Bob Evans, of course, is you know going on to train lots and lots of people. But I was the first person that he ever trained. And it was Bob, Nick, and Brian, and... Uh, Scott King and, and and these guys all oh, came wow. out of Yankee Pro Wrestling, where um, gorgeous Chris Duffy and Phil Apollo and Dr. D. David Schultz and Tony Rumble. These guys were all down there training and helping uh, get them, and they branched off from from Yankee Pro. And so I would say everyone was teaching the same style. It wasn't like back then. It was just learning the art of pro wrestling. There wasn't all these different styles like that. I mean, wrestling, like every sport, has evolved. But back then, it was just learning to take bumps, conditioning, and get in the ring and start doing matches. Wait, do you, do you have a feeling that you I'm just go to not, touch on it? I'm going to try not to hog this, JP, tonight. I'm going to try and shut my mouth and let you ask questions until <laughs> oh, I feel God. like you're exhausted, and then I'm going <laughs> to jump in because I'll continue to just talk all night long. Do you have, like, do you still watch the current product? I do. Do you have feelings on how it's evolved? Because you just sort of touched on it, how there was like basically it was it was pro wrestling back then, right? And now how it's evolved into like uh, I hate saying sports entertainment, but sports entertainment because that's really what it is at this point. Well, before the the, the world changed, um, I was really getting into AEW. I was really enjoying what they were doing. But as far as the current state of wrestling goes, um, it just seems like a punch doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, you could back a guy into the corner and give him a form across the back, and he would go down. Like, a guy can get powerbombed seven times, flip over the top rope, do this and that and this and that and this and that, and they kick out so much. It's just taking it, – it's it's a whole different thing. I'm not complaining about it. I'm not putting it down. It's just it, – it seems like it takes a lot to pin somebody nowadays. Yeah, there's, uh, there's no more – I agree with you in that the finishing moves mean less. And like you said, a punch is absolutely nothing at this point. I watched I watched um, the match. I watched the match with Ric Flair in his debut in Madison Square Garden against Johnny Rods, and he beat him with a vertical suplex. That's <laughs> Yeah, I was just I was just watching oh. WrestleMania eight and I think that it was Kerry Von Eric, the Texas Tornado. Like I Man, I miss the 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 era that you were in in NWA 
the territories, um, and JP and I have been talking about this for a couple years now, uh, with AEW involving Impact and other promotions out there. Do you really, do you feel like pro- professional wrestling and the fact that Chris Jericho and Stone Cold are going to be on a podcast together with WWE and AEW? Do you f- like? Are we getting worked? Are we all getting worked? Just in the end, is this kind of w- what this all is, and w- it, we all get a laugh at it, or is this? Um, I mean, WWF WWE has never worked with talent in the past, ever ever been open to bringing other talent. Um, you were able to go to different territories, um, bring, correct me if I'm wrong, like the NWA, when they actually created the national championship belt, you, you were able to carry that to other territories, but you carried your own territory belt at the same time, right? Yes. Okay. Man, I, some of the stuff, JP, I, I still got it, man. Uh, do you, do you feel, um, do you feel that validates or does it devalue? kind of the, those belts and those territories like an AEW and an impact. And if you, if you don't want to touch on it, don't, but I, I really want to kind of pick your brain when it comes to that, because it's, I love the idea. I love the expansion. I love the exposure for a lot of these kids that wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise to be on television and do a lot of stuff like John silver is, is one of those kids. Yeah. Um, do you see that? I don't mean to ramble, but there's a question in there somewhere. No, you, you, you covered a lot just then. And, and the, the first thing I can, I'd like to comment on is when you said, are we being worked? Kevin Sullivan told me in a locker room one time, if it's on TV and there's money in, involved, you're being worked. And so it's, you know, um, it, it's so, you know, I, I, I've, I've come to learn, you know, um, everybody's friends with everybody. There's no, like, you know, there's no doubt that WWE is in contact with AEW. There's no doubt. I remember being at TV tapings when they would have, this is back in the 90s, Raw would be on one screen. At, at a WW, uh, at Raw, there would be a, a monitor with Raw and a monitor with Nitro right there at, at, wow. at, in the building. They'd be watching, you know, it, it's, so everyone, um, you know, everyone, everyone's, I don't want to say cahoots, but, you know, it's, it's a big fraternity, even within the different companies. And I, I think crossing over and having all these interpromotional things is, is great for wrestling. It's great. And it also gives these smaller groups a little bit more momentum to like actually be considered not competition, but be considered another entity, you know, another, another something that, um, that, that's, you know, um, competing. Right, and I guess, and JP, just to follow up, is that we've always kind of looked at it as as a feeder program. You can kind of trace a trainer to a training program, to a promotion, to a belt, to a signing, and that's kind of what I guess the reason I asked that question is like New England is is just it's pro wrestling. It's always been pro wrestling. So. What's your fondest memory of oh, defending that belt? And the follow-up to that is, like, what was it? What's it like the day after when you lose a belt like that? Well, the um, when we got the NW, me, it, my first run as NWA World Tag Team Champion was with Eric Sprazier, and it opened up doors like you wouldn't believe. Like we got to go to Japan, uh, we we got to go all over the country. 
it, to all the little NWA territories that were around back then. And it was, um, you know, we would be in Pikeville, Kentucky one night and in Ohio and West Virginia and Texas. And we'd be all over the place. And it was like, wow. This, and Jim Cornette was very instrumental in helping us set up loops and showing us, you know, how to do that. And um, we we dropped the belts the first time when we dropped the belt. I have, I'll be perfectly honest with you. As a professional wrestler, the only time a wrestler loses is when he doesn't get paid. So it really didn't – it was no big deal losing a belt, you know, like uh, – while Bill Irwin told me one time, the only thing that that wrestling belts do is make your suitcase heavier. Now, how, like, but I I understand that, and I understand rest, pro wrestling is what it is. But how cool is it when you get the call that you're gonna win that title? The world, not just the local independent, but the actual NWA World Tag Team title. Well, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I told Tony Rumble, we were driving down to New Jersey. It was me and him and Scott Dickinson in the car. And we're driving down there. I said, they're just trying to get us to come. They're not going <laughs> to put the belts on us. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the, like Tully Blanchard and Tom Pritchard were in one corner. And, um, you know, like, I was like they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, put us over. And and they did. And they did. And, and, and you know, we were at the, I forget where it was. It was in like a hotel ballroom. And um, Jr. was in the back scouting talent for this thing. It was, it's surreal when I look back on it now. I was in the locker room with Missy Hyatt and Abdul the Butcher and, um, you know, Ronnie Garvin. And all these guys were there. And it was, um, you know, and, and we walked back with the belts. We came back and we won the belts. And, and I remember the headbangers stopped us in the hallway. And they said, those are the nothing belts. Those belts don't mean anything because they were, you know, WWF and they were like, you know, they, they, they almost seemed like they were like jealous or something because they had just won, they, they had just won those belts on WWF TV like a few months earlier. That's, but so that, it was, that, you know, it, it was, it was pretty wild. It was a really exciting and fun time. There's a lot of validity to that statement because I learned a long time ago and a wise man once told me that the reason I dislike somebody or, or I say something is because I see something in that person or something that they have that I want or desire. So, I mean, that NWA tag team, having that, just knowing the founders that founded NWA and said that they never wanted to have those, a unification belt, and then they had a unification belt, and to, to, to be able to say that, you know, you, you were that champion, that's, that's, a, that's one of those statements. And it's, it's really cool to sit back and, like, when you start, when you, when you, when you, Ronnie Garvin, like, I haven't envisioned that guy for a long time. And when you bring up those names, it's pretty cool. It's like a Rolodex for me that it, it goes through and it takes me back to, like, those childhood times when I could, I watched those. And it's, it's pretty cool when we get a chance to sit down with um, individuals like you and you mention those names and it, it, it clicks that memory. And on top of those guys being in the match, that wasn't just like a regular NWA show, right? That was actually the NWA's 50th anniversary, and it was supposed to be Tully Blanchard and Barry Windham, but for some reason Barry Windham didn't come, and they put uh, they put um, Tom Pritchard in his place, and you know Tom Pritchard's Tom Pritchard. You know that was right. It was, it, it was it, actually it was a four corners match. There was a team called the Border Patrol out of the Carolinas, a team called Team Extreme from Texas, the Brotherhood from New England, and those guys. And I remember um, when uh, Tom Pritchard got tagged into the match. It was him and Eric Sprazier in the ring. Uh, Pritchard walked over and tagged me in. He hit me on the shoulder and tagged me in, and and threw me a real curve because I didn't see that coming. So that would put me in the ring against my partner. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
And he and when Todd Pritchard did that, he laughed in my face. Oh, he laughed yeah. in my face, and he got out of the ring. And Tony Rumble's outside the ring screaming, "Pin him! Pin him!" He's telling me to pin my partner because <laughs> I'm gonna win the belt. No. <laughs> you talked about a punch meaning something earlier, and I have a favorite weapon of mine that I've never got to use because you can't get them here. But can you tell us where the name Knuckles Nelson came from? Oh man, like I my original wrestling name was Tully McShane. It was horrible. The Irish Prince, Tully McShane, right? It, this is this is what I did before I met Tony Rumble. And how that so how I, did, I, you gotta tell us the name. How did Tully McShane come to fruition? When I was mentioning the guys earlier from the wrestling school that I went to, we were all in the ring and they were like, We gotta come up with a name for this guy. And they were throwing all these names around and, and one of the guys said, I got it, Tully McShane, the Irish prince. And I was like, Yeah, okay. I was really not attached to the name at all. But when I, I when I went to my first show for Tony Rumble, I just showed up. I didn't have I didn't have any contacts. I drove in by myself in my car to Hanover, Massachusetts, and I found Tony, and he said, I'm going to put you on the show tonight, but I'm going to put you under a mask, and if you're, if you're, if it goes well, I'll talk to you about future dates. So it, it went well. Actually, what happened was Tony um, gave me an elbow out of the corner, and he split my lip wide open. He, he didn't elbow me in the chest. He elbowed me right in the mouth, and um, I'm, I'm going to get to the name in a second, but this is a good story, and um, – I was I was under a mask for the first time, and 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 um, blood was all in my mouth. And when I got back to the locker room, I took the mask off of my face, and I was bloodied up like bad. And Tony Atlas walked up to me and put his face right up against mine and said, "That's good for the business, kid. Now go find Tony Rumble and tell him thank you for being in the ring with him." And that's exactly what I did. I did what I was told. And then after the show, the next day, Tony called me. How's your mouth? I said it's fine. I should have turned my head. It was my fault. And he said, I got an idea for a wrestling character. It's like a, a bouncer, a rough and tumble guy out of Reno, Nevada called Knuckles Nelson. And the second he said it, I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. He said, do you want to give it a try? I said, of course I do. And from that day on, I was Knuckles Nelson. Now, was there brass knuckles involved with that? Yeah, that was the whole premise of the gimmick. He would have me like in, a, in the ring with Snooker, Tito Santana, um, you know, um, Tom Brandy, like all these guys that were way more accomplished than me. And the match would end with Tony Rumble coming down to ringside, giving me a pair of brass knuckles. I would knock them out and, and pin them. I was beating all these guys that were like <laughs> very established wrestlers. I remember Tony Atlas was not happy about losing to a clown like me. He, you know, I was nobody and he's Mr. USA Tony Atlas and he did it, but he wasn't happy about it. I remember. So, I, like I told you earlier, I grew up in Boston. I never went to the shows because my friends weren't into wrestling when we were teenagers. I was. I never grew out of that. I'm 47 years old, and I still haven't grown out of it to this day. Yeah, join the um, club. <laughs> um, but I used to watch on Channel 23 in Boston on cable, and I can remember watching The Brotherhood with Tony. And you got, and, you and Eric Sprazier and um, Jason Rage and guys like that. And it's like... It's amazing to now look back and to be able to talk to you guys because you guys were always just on like on TV to me. And it was like, it wasn't just you guys. There was guys like Taz, uh, Sabu. I got to see a lot of those guys. And then when my friends did get into ECW, how do you know this guy? Well, because I've been watching wrestling all along. You just started mm -hmm. again because it got cool again. Well, let me, let me run down a few of the names that were in Tony Rumble's locker room when you were saying you like some of the name dropping. Um, I mentioned Abdul the Butcher, yeah. Demolition Axe, 
Tony Atlas, Sergeant Slaughter, Jerry the King Lawler, um, Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, Vic Steamboat, um, Damian Demento, uh, King Kong Bundy was there all the time. Tito Santana, like the, the, I would walk into locker rooms prior to Tony's shows, surrounded by independent guys that were all just trying to just trying to to, to get on a show. Next thing you know, I'm in a lot. Hacksaw Jim Duggan was there a lot. I'm in, and Jim Cornette and Kevin Sullivan were always there, scouting talent, promoting people to the next level on the spot, like the, on the spot. It's crazy, but yeah, because those guys were. You know, like you, you said, Kevin Kelly, like those guys were like, they were New England guys by all means. Yeah, not Kevin Kelly, Kevin Sullivan from WCW. Oh, Kevin, oh, oh, Kevin Sullivan was definitely a New England guy and yeah. definitely um, was definitely had the book at uh, WCW at that time. Right, and I remember one time uh, Rick Fuller was in the ring and he just oh, powerbombed some poor soul and the, he he hit him so hard with his powerbomb, I thought he sent him through the mat. And Kevin Sullivan standing right next to me and he goes, Knuckles, who's the big guy? I said, that's Rick Fuller. He ran over to Tony. They talked for a minute. Rick Fuller came back and they had a little conversation and Fuller was on Monday Nitro the following Monday. That's that's yeah, how it happened. That's how it happened back then. That's you know what's funny is, and, back, and everybody always wants to blame like the money and this and that, it really was. It wasn't the money; it was the merger is what killed WCW with AOL. It just that's what killed it. It wasn't the fact that they had a, a huge bankroll and that they were paying people. That I mean, AEW is going to prove that again. It was the fact that there was a merger and uh, Time Warner and AOL got together, and WCW just went away. That's think, just, that's the hard part. I think their contract guys. I think what they were doing was they were outbidding WWE, and that hurt them. That that definitely hurt them. I think the money. Yeah, but that's outside looking in. You know what do I know about running very a outside looking in? Very outside looking in. <laughs> yeah. Like I only read Eric Bischoff's book, looking in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know nothing about running a ten dollar business. Never mind a multi billion dollar business. So now you. I want to get into the book because you you have a book that's out. Did you self publish or is that published? Is that it's not published. no not self published? But uh, it was actually published through a company called Redwood Publishing in Irvine, California. Okay, can people How? get that? Because I'm reading. I'm in the middle. Of, I'm not in the middle of reading it. I read very slow. I'm, I'm like at the end of chapter one, probably. Yes, uh, I'm Maybe. right around. <laughs> If he says he's on chapter two, he's on the first word of chapter two. <laughs> but okay. I am, I'm, I'm, I am reading it, and I'm enjoying it because it's um, it's about a journey. It's not necessarily about your wrestling journey, but it's about another journey that you've gone on. Oh, it's it's way more. It, it's it's about wrestling, but it's about a lot more. Like the book picks up in 2018 when I was in a really really dark place in my life. Things were so bad in my life, and. I knew things had to change or something bad was going to happen. And I ended up uh, jumping on my Harley Davidson and I drove down deep into the mountains of Virginia to look up my childhood hero, a wrestler that you will know by the name of Handsome Jimmy, the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. And when I got down to Virginia and found Boogie, we were strangers. He didn't even know me. He didn't know anything about me. And he's like a second father to me now, this guy. He really helped me. Like, I mean, I was in a bad, bad place. And and um, th that was the beginning of... of my my real journey of the book is called Waking Up, and it's it's really when I woke up when Boogie started telling me his philosophy of life, and then I jumped on a plane and I flew to Australia and I looked up and became friends with my um, the singer from my favorite band Electric Mary, this guy named Rusty Brown. He's a very famous rock star in Australia, and I went on tour with Australia. 
in Australia with Electric Mary, and I, I was introducing them on stage in big cities around Australia. And that was, you know, this journey that I went on to try and just to try to find some inner peace and be happy again. I was like always dealing with like addiction and drugs and alcohol and um, rage and having a really bad temper and like um, just just all this stuff. And I got divorced and I was like, and my mom died. And it was just all this stuff that happened. And um, then I discovered yoga. And when I discovered yoga, that changed a lot. All this stuff I'm, I'm mentioning were all little pieces of, of my journey. And it all comes to a head in the end. And the book has a really good ending and a really good message. I get a lot of messages from people that are strangers to me thanking me for writing the book and telling me they experienced a lot of the same things like i was suicidal man i was really in a bad place that's i think that's, that's something of, that we talk a lot about here like i think me and josh have both been at that point at times in our lives yeah and uh yeah. you know get through it in our own ways so like i love like mental health awareness is something that we're huge on yeah it's, it's now, one of the, especially I, like I love yoga. Like it's it's one of those things that my body's finally to a point now. Like you, where I've I've taken enough time to let it heal. Now I can actually start uh, doing a, a little bit more. And like I've got the DDP yoga. I've got all that stuff. And you know, and I'm, I know what to do. It's just that that behavior modification, right? That habit, that. Uh, that inner peace, finding yourself. Cause once you get out of that, you're right. Like once you get outside of yourself and you start for me, when I start uh, letting that, the outside affect me on the inside is when that snowballs for me. So I absolutely get it when, and that's why I'm, um, I'm excited to read it once JP gets done. I, I really am because it's, it's, it's a familiar journey for me and like the struggle with mental health as, like I'm, I'm um, what they would say is uh, I'm, I'm med resistant to um, SSRIs or anything that would help with depression. So really, my thing is diet, exercise, um, talk therapy, whatever that is. But yeah, it's, you're it's, on, you're on the path, brother. You're totally on the path. That's it. You're, the the medication is not going to do anything compared to the stuff no. that you just mentioned. And that's the that's the hardest part. Is that once you you don't know that you need to make that breakthrough until you finally just decide to make that call, talk to the doc, and go through the door. Like those are the those are the three hardest things I think for men to do because of the stigmatism, fear, judgment. You're weak. Like those things, um, I, I had to really um, throw to the side. Growing up in Montana, I mean, you're, you you got to be tough. Boston, you got to be tough. Like this is, you just, you suck it up. You don't cry, you know, excuse me, you shut the fuck up and get over it. Like that's what you got to do. But in the end, if you don't process it and you don't have the time to grieve or you, for me personally, <clears throat> that irritability, the anger, the frustration, like it's, it's, con it was constant. Like it was always there, no matter what, didn't matter who you were around, what they were saying, like it, it could be nothing. They could be doing the nicest thing for you, but you're still irritated because they're doing something nice, like at that level. So, and I'm, I'm super excited to read it, and I'm, I'm happy you're where you're at. It's cool. Now, did Thanks. you just start doing yoga in 2018? 
No, my first yoga class in 2014, I was finishing up like a 30-year run in the gym and my body was not able to do what it used to do. And so uh, a, a friend asked me if I was interested in going to a yoga studio that opened up in town. I live in Rhode Island and it was down here in North Kingstown, Rhode Island called Rhode Island Power Yoga. So I went to the first class and it was heated power yoga. It was like 100 degrees in the oh, room. I, my, my head was pounding. I was surrounded by all these elite yoga athletes, all these yep. yogis. And... Mm -hmm. um. And I got through it, and I and I that's been my yoga home ever since. Since then, I've traveled all over the world, tra going to yoga studios, and um and and the um and the journey started there in 2014, and and then I found that I could do things with my body now that I never could do when I was wrestling. I mean, yeah. I, I'm doing headstands and handstands in my fifties. You can't fake the pictures that are in your book on what you're doing as far as the <laughs> yoga. It's incredible. Like, it, I I don't know. If I could ever imagine of doing a, a headstand, never mind like the bends and all of that that go with it. I mean, that's the first. Crazy. That's the first thing that's holding you back. That thought, like you could, you definitely could. Anybody can. You know, you you really can. It's really a lot of it is is up here. And Josh was alluding to it um, a, a few minutes ago. But um, I can tell you that um, you know practicing yoga is like the the best thing that I ever did, and I recommend it to anyone. It took me, it also, it took me a long time to learn beginner level meditation to where I could sit in a spot for 10 minutes and just like disappear and not, I could, you know, there's Paw Patrol in the back or there's kids laughing or yelling or there's a funny joke on the television and somebody laughs next to you. It's a discipline. It took me a long time, even as a Marine, like I use a former Marine and I, I have oppositional defiant disorder. Like, I don't give a shit who you are. I'm going to tell you to piss off and no, I'm not doing it and whatever, even if I should do it. I know I should do it. I'm going to tell you that before I do it. So it's, it's, it's taught me calm, right? And it has taught me con that control part, right? Like, I'm in, con I'm in control of the hardware that's inside me now. Like, I can, I can plug software in. It's not really the, I, it sounds like matrix shit, but it, that's what it feels like is like I can, I have the ability to, decide what I, what I do and what I don't want to do. I'm in control of that. And yoga helped me figure that out. It, it, it introduced me to that meditation part that was missing because the outside distractions were always coming in. That's how it always felt for me. Now, nice. Nicholas, one, I definitely want to touch on uh, real quick. Where can people get the book? The book's available on Amazon. Okay. And can, can you mention the title of the book again? So that's the, that's a big thing for me. Yeah, the book is called Waking Up from the Wrestling Ring to the Yoga Mat. When you say you, JP, do you have a, do you have a follow up to that? Or am I? No, no, yet? I was just saying it right along with them. <laughs> um, like when you say you discovered yoga, like how can you tell? I'm, I'm sure that's probably in the book, and I don't want you to go too in depth into it, but can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Yeah, I, I, I just did. I, 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 a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to a yoga class, and I went, and it was as simple as that. That's just it. I mean, it, jumped it right in. That's and, what, and I mean. I, that's what mine when was. I walked into the, when I walked into the class, um, at, at the beginning, I was planning my escape. I was like, what have I done? At 100 degrees, I was sweating profusely. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. The weight room, weight room was looking real good again. And then um, I started to pick up on what was going on around me. And then I just kept going back and going back and going back. I, I still practice yoga all the time, like three, four, five times a week. Do you still do with the like the hot works yoga? Do you still do that? 
that's the that's the yoga that I do. That's what I do exclusively. I mean, I will do a yoga class if it's if there's no heat, but um, I've jumped on my Holly and gone from Rhode Island all the way down to Key West and stopped at yoga studios all along the way and all the way back. And sometimes they, they don't have heated yoga in the area where I might be staying. So, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever's available. So you got to the point where you actually prefer the heated yoga. Yeah, yeah, I'm, wow. I'm in there all the time. That makes me nauseous just thinking about that right now. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, like you said, I, I I believe I can do it. Um, it's just asserting myself and getting up off of my uh, my keister to do it and well, getting I, that Im- ambition. But like the heated yoga, I think would um, almost intimidate me. Well, here's the thing about the, the the whole deal with the heat. The reason they make those conditions the way they are in the room is it's all about mindfulness. It's all yeah. about Oh my God, it's so hot in here. I, I used to stand in the class in the beginning and go, it's so hot in here. I'd say it right out loud. How can you people stand here? It's so hot. <laughs> and then I realized that's just a thought. That's just a thought that I'm telling myself. It's too hot in here. I can't do it. That's a lie I'm telling myself. It's not true. So then they teach you how to breathe. And you and in each breath, I can maintain it for just one breath. I can stay in there for a breath. And then that turns into another one and another one. And then I started to realize it's not too hot in here for me. That's just something I'm telling myself. It's like it's like the, when the Native Americans used to have a sweat JP, and, and they would take the stones cool. in there, and they would do it for hours. It's that type of suffering. You just have to get through it. Mind, mind over matter, right? Yes. Hey, TIW Mafia, it's the Yeti. I want to take a minute here real quick uh, and talk about today's podcast. Uh, today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo in your podcast. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us Podgo section application. I want to go back into the wrestling. Now, I want to talk, because I've seen you. Um, I know, like I said, I saw you at the Tony Rumble Memorial, and then, unfortunately, after that, I, I also saw you at, um, just after Nick Steele had passed away at that show. Okay. Um, that, um, Top Rope had done. Do you go to a lot of the independent shows, or do you go to independent shows? The, yes, it's, uh, occasionally. I'd, I wouldn't say a lot, but occasionally. And the reason I I was at that show that night, I was going to be at that show anyway because I was going to see Nick. I was going to visit Nick. And and when he died, there were two people yeah. within wrestling, not in my life, but within wrestling that passed away that I was just totally, totally in shock. The one was Tony Rumble and the other one was Nick Steele. And when I found out Nick was wrestling that day in New Bedford, I said to a friend of mine, let's go up and I want you to, because me and Nick were tag team partners. We were a tag team called the Dark Side back in the early 90s. I was, he was Nightmare Nick Steele. I was Tara Tully McShane. And, and Nick was like, we wore these big chains around our neck. And uh, our ring music was A Touch of Evil by Judas Priest. And we came out to the <laughs> ring. And, and, and uh, Nick Nick was 16 years old. I was 29. He was 16. And this kid was like late years ahead of his time, you know? So yeah, he, yeah. he knew, he knew like tag team wrestling. He taught me so much at such a young age. So, um, I was going to that show anyway that night, and then it turned out to be a memorial show. And I, I'm trying to think, Silvano Souza was there, yeah. Matt Haven was there, Rich Palladino was yeah. there. There were a lot of people from different eras and different, um, you know, different spots in the wrestling community that all showed up. Myself, you know, we were all there to pay tribute to uh, such a great kid. 
He had such a he was he was really young. Uh, I only had the opportunity to meet Nick maybe a handful of times. I can't really say I was friends with him or I knew him the way you guys were. But it meant enough to me to go from Quincy, Mass to Fall River to see a show uh, that I wouldn't have necessarily gone to anyway because I want I knew there was going to be something for him there. Right. Um. And yeah, like you you said, like Silvano Suzo, a legend. Show you know it meant enough for him to go there, and Nick Nick was light years ahead. Like he was, he was a young kid when he was teaching people how to do it, and he was never afraid to take someone under their wing. So, well, Silvano Souza used to run amazing top notch shows when he was um, uh, back in, in the nineties. Uh, I, I believe it was called AWF, American Wrestling Federation. I might be wrong, but it was AWF, and you know every single wrestler on his shows were like excellent wrestlers. Like I remember being there and um, uh, Tim McNeeny would be there. Yeah. Um, um, Steve Bradley. Um, and he'd always round them out with, with wrestlers from, you know, from, from television too. Um, uh, you know, he, he just, he ran great shows. Susan. Yeah. yeah. I never had the opportunity, um, to go. I've met Silvano once or twice, um, just from being at shows and whatnot, but, um, it's, who is your favorite on the independence now? Do you have one? Do you do you see somebody that you say, all right, this kid has it. This kid has what it's going to take. There's there's quite a few. Like um that that night in Fall River, I was impressed with uh, Nico Silva. Oh yeah, Nico is Nico is incredible. Yeah, and um and I also have a friend who was a former student of mine because I had a wrestling school years ago in Salisbury Beach, Massachusetts, called the Combat Zone pro wrestling school and um a kid by the name of joe moakley started running oh, shows yeah. up in uh newburyport awf and he's got a he's got a lot of um he's got a lot of uh good young talent that that yes. worked for him too yeah um they they have a re- they put on a really good product um they're very they're they're running they have a show i don't know the date so i don't want to really um i don't want to screw that up but they, i know they have a show coming up and it's going to be the first one in a long time Yep, they're they're getting ready to start up it's again. Nice. Um, it's now you running Salisbury. That was like a legendary location. I know I use legendary too much on this show, but I mean Salisbury, Mass. Like that's, um, that had some great shows out of there, right? Well, before I mean, my time, there was a building called the Frolics, and that's where the WWF used to go. And Jimmy Valiant told me about they were the Valiant brothers and, you know, the WWF. That was one of their stops in Salisbury. But if you fast forward from the 70s to the 90s, there was a place called Champs Arena. And Champs okay. Arena was run by a guy named Big City Mike, Rick Martello. And um, Champs Arena, and I write about this in my book, it sat right in the middle of the center in Salisbury Beach. And it, it, it had the potential to be a gold mine. But there was just so many tourists and so many people walking around on the beach. And uh, they, they, did, they did okay for a while. And then the place closed down. And then I ended up living up there and staying up there in Salisbury for nine years. I ended up liking the area and staying up there. And I wrestling back we did one show for pop warner football and we drew a thousand people and i realized that we could we could do something up here so i bought a ring 
I cover all this in my book too. I I didn't really. I, I mean, my wrestling career was was over as far as me trying to make it. So I transitioned into helping other guys make it, and I really found that to be something I enjoyed more than um, being a, a wrestler. I loved being a trainer. I loved being a promoter. I loved giving all these guys chances. I mean, I I had like Slick Wagner Brown and Louis Ortiz and Eddie Edwards and Nikki Rocks and Velvet Sky and Dylan Cage and Ron Zombie and Astro Man. I could just go on and on. Fred the Rocket Curry. I had all the top independent wrestlers in New England at the time, and we did a television show called This Week in Wrestling that was hosted by Brian Webster, and the okay. show just... The show just um, did 102 weeks of, of we did 102 weeks of TV. We ran shows uh, bi-monthly, and it was a it was a hell of a run for about two years. That's then that's you just named literally some of those guys are still the top talent in New England now. Oh yeah, you know guys like Slick and uh, so that and Eddie and you know it's and that was going back, and they were the top guys then too. It's it's funny how. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say they were the top guys then. I would say Eddie Edwards was a young kid. I would say Slick was just coming into his own. Um, you know, uh, Zombie and Dylan Cage and Fred Curry. Those guys were those guys were like in their prime. I, I, Fred Curry is the the wrestler that I always thought should have made it big for some reason. Yeah. You know, it, it it didn't really happen, but it, it um he he was so talented and so. But yeah. there there was um I, I we had a, a great run at, at wrestling. Star Wars was the name of the promotion, and it was in in tribute to world class championship wrestling, which was my favorite organization as a kid growing up. WCCW. Yes. <laughs> now, other than other than the boogie woogie man, other than handsome one, who was your? Who else did you look up to as a kid? Like, was it just was it just the valiance that sort of inspired you to get into it? No, not at all. But when when I when I was when I think back to um to the wrestlers that influenced me, I was heavily influenced by Adrian Adonis before the whole adorable Adrian thing yeah. when he was. Well, even before the East-West connection, like when he was with a black leather jacket, he, you know, that guy was ahead of his time. He was such an amazing wrestler. I was also heavily, heavily influenced by the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. When I saw those guys come along, they, they were just doing something different. Those guys, I just was sure it was real. They were just punching each other in the face and kicking <laughs> each other. It was like, this is not like, you know, WWF. It just seemed like, it just seemed like they were just really going at it, you know, and um, I also was a big, you know, Ric Flair, uh, Bruiser Brody, Superstar Billy Graham. Um, I, you know, there's, I, I have my favorites, you know, Midnight Express. That's, so for the most part, like the guys you named, like the Bruiser Brodies, like the, the guys that sort of legitimized it, I'd say, like made it look, you, you thought you were watching a fight, not a wrestling match. Yeah, well, here, well, here's one example. Like, if you take any of the cookie cutter wrestlers of today, and I am not putting down anyone yeah. in wrestling today, but they're every a lot of the guys are the same. They're they're just you know they all look like male models. They're all um, you know uh, millennials. And if you took Terry Gordy in his heyday and put him in the ring against any one of these kids, they would you know, they would know <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't it's, know what to do. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I grew up I grew up in South Boston. I've been in my share of fist fights. I've seen a fist fight. And then I, I, and I'm not putting down because these guys are doing stuff I cannot do. I don't have the athletic ability. I don't have the agility. You know, I'm making up excuses on why I can't do something. And I understand that, but they're doing stuff I cannot do. But sometimes it doesn't make sense. (laughs) 
Yeah. I I guess for me is I I always I would want and I love if, what they do. If I if I was if I was to, to do this right, if I was to have the ability to do this, I didn't live in BFE in Montana and we actually had a promotion or probably a ring somewhere in the state. Um <laughs> like I think it would it would be it would just be exhausting. Like it would just be not to the point where just understand like you when you mentioned Ric Flair, I, I think about how he trained and how he wanted to give up and how he just like he quit and then he quit again and then like he he figured it out. And I think that's that's kind of where where it's where it's at is like these kids don't necessarily have the time to go through that or aren't given the opportunity to suffer and know what it feels like to have that. So I guess for me, if I was going to do that, I want to be in the ring with somebody that was going to kick the shit out of me and like bring it out of me. Like I would want that. I would, I would make sure like if I was going to be, I would, I would want to be Chris Dickinson right now. If I was to do it all over again, I would be Chris Dickinson right now. I would, I would be that kid. We touched on a, a lot of names and a lot of names that I wanted to talk about. There was one we haven't touched on yet that I know is near and dear to you, and that's uh, a radio personality down in Virginia, Jeff Katz. Yeah, just my best friend. That's um. Did that come from wrestling? Because I know he was a he was a big part of wrestling up here for a long time. Yeah, well, we—that's where we met in the in the Century Wrestling Alliance, which morphed into the NWA, uh, New England territory. But um, back then, we really only knew each other from from you know working on wrestling shows together. And I was so out of control. Jeff would not have been out with me at night with the <laughs> shit that I was doing. And um, right. <laughs> you know, and, and but um, years later, when social media came along, I found Jeff on this thing called MySpace, and me and Jeff reconnected, and our friendship like we then, and I found out he was because he back in the nineties he left Boston and he went out to Vegas for a radio gig, and when and I lost touch with him after that, and then in two thousand and four. Uh, we reconnected, and he was married with three kids, and 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 we started spending time together. And now I go down to Virginia, um, two or three times a year to see him and to see Boogie. And you know, he's also a huge um, part of uh, Boogie's Wrestling Camp, which I should also plug if if you guys aren't aware of it. Boogie's Wrestling Camp Hall of Famer Museum in Short, Virginia. If you haven't been there, and I know it's not exactly close, but it's only an eight-hour ride from from Massachusetts. Um, it's filled with wrestling nostalgia and memorabilia and, and, and all these different things. And, uh, and, um, there's also wrestling school and practice going on and you never know who's going to be there when, you know, like I was there one time and, and, and Ricky Martin was there and, you know, you just never know who's, who's going to pop in there. And, and whenever I go to Virginia, I go to Richmond first and get Jeff and then me and Jeff go down to see Boogie. That's it, and, in no. fact, in fact, while we're, while we're here talking about it, I've got my Jeff Katz show mug right here, guys. There you <laughs> go. WRBA in Richmond. He is on from 3 to 6 every day. He's got the number one rated show in Virginia. That's in, 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 in Richmond, I mean. Now, I also that's a, wanted that's a, that's to That's a big thing. Like, I, me and you had never met before. Like I said, we've been in the same room, but we've never officially met other than this. And I've heard a lot about you through the years, never really anything bad. 
just that you were like a tough dude who you didn't want to mess with. And like, you sort of, you were the type of guy who I think people try to stay out of the way from. And it seems like now you're putting yourself into the middle of situations where you're meeting new people and you're kind of putting yourself out there. One, it's selling the book, but two, I think it's, it uh, has the yoga and that type of thing kind of transformed you. Do you think? Yeah, I think um, I, I, I've been sober for almost 20 years and, and like that, that had a lot to do with it. Like I was like bad with drugs and alcohol, most of my teens, twenties and thirties. And I, and I also think the name of my book is called waking up because I actually did wake up. I had like a really huge spiritual awakening and it's not like I'm in church or anything like that, but I just am totally connected with the universe. And once I wrote this book and you, you said you were in the early stages of it, as it goes on, people have told me they're picking their jaw up off the ground when they are reading it, because I really, I, I'm, I am as honest as I've ever been in my life. And when you do that, when you put that all in on, on paper and you put it out there to anyone to read it, I'm free. I'm totally free. There's nothing I have to worry about anyone finding out about me. All my secrets are out there. And I, I actually work, I, I, my, I have a, a job. I'm, I'm a driver for the Rhode Island Public Transit Authority. And, and I'm a bus driver. And people in in work are just like, we. no one knew anything about that. They didn't know who Knuckles Nelson was. They didn't know anything <laughs> about that. How come we didn't know any of this about you? And I was like, well, I, you know, and, and, you know, like now they're reading about, you know, like crazy drug use and alcohol and, and crazy yeah. wild partying all over the world, you know, and, and stuff. But, um, the, so, so I don't have any secrets. And I think when you, if, if I mean it, I don't have any secrets, nothing, zero, none. So, when when you when you have them when i had them i should say it was different like i was guarded and and i'm not anymore and and so i think the combination of yoga and having a spiritual awakening and putting it all down in a book and all that stuff has made me very accessible and very open and people you know like they see a different you know um some of my friends call me yoga nux <laughs> nice yoga nux nice. so would you would you say that you're not to go too far but it might be fourth wall speaking of four. Would you say this was like a fourth step for you? Like, is that what the book could be compared to? Are you none of that? Or this is more of a definitely, just, definitely. Yeah? It's a, it's a 370 page fourth step. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, That's awesome. One large step, huh? Yes. Well, what gave you, what made you write the book? I'm trying to figure out how to word that, but what brought you to write the book in, um, just think, uh, know that people would be interested in buying it. Well, when I was coming back from my first initial trip to Boogie's Wrestling Camp, um, I was I was on my motorcycle, and Jeff Katz and his youngest and his oldest son Harry were in a car in front of me because I needed to arrive there on a motorcycle because Boogie's a biker. When we were driving yeah. from Shawsville back to Richmond, um, I started thinking something. I was like, I, something was like brewing in my head. I didn't really even know what it was. And we went, and, and so when I got back to Richmond, I spent about a week there. And every day, Jeff showed me around Richmond and showed me all over the place, everything. I knew Richmond like the back of my hand by the time I left. And one day he said to me, would you be interested in going to the Virginia War Memorial tonight to listen to a guy speak? And I didn't know who he was or what it was about. And I said, uh, sure, I'll go. So the guy's name was Craig Rossi, and we went to this Virginia War Memorial, and it was an auditorium full of people. And Craig was up on stage with a slideshow, and he's showing all these slides 
of him in Afghanistan. His book is called Fred, Fred and Craig, a Marine, a stray dog, and how they saved each other. This book, he wrote a book, and it's about how he smuggled a dog from Afghanistan back to the United States. And this book is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And he's like, it's an incredible, incredible story. He said, I'm a Marine. I'm a grunt. I never thought about writing a book. And now he's got like this really like, his book is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. It's called Fred and Craig, A Marine, A Stray Dog, and How They Saved Each Other. And I sat there and I was like, I'm going to write a book too. It was in that moment that I knew I was going to write a book. And I came home and I sat down with composition notebooks like you had in school, and I just started filling them up. I filled six of them up. I filled six, I drained four pens. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and I knew, you know, this is going to be a book someday, and it was. That's, and it's got me reading, which Josh will tell you is a venture. I have a couple other books here that I was supposed to start, and I said, nope, I'm reading Knuckles for. I appreciate um, that. Because the other books have been honestly sitting for about a month unopened, yeah. and yours, the day I got it, I messaged you, and I started reading it right away. And that was my first awesome. question was, "Oh, it's not an audio book, so you can't listen to it." <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to sound out some of the words, but I'm getting. <laughs> but it, it's there's, a, there's, some, there's some pretty cool um, old wrestling photos in there too. Yeah, you know, some some unique photos that that I took, so that you know that they're not like. You, you can know. openly shame him and guilt him to not reading you. I mean, he's had an opportune time to get this completed. I, he's absolutely had an opportune time to get it done. I can't he's, stand you because you know what he, my life has been. <laughs> <laughs> just, just having me on the show is enough for me. That's, no, but um, so Amazon, Amazon.com, and the book's readily available. It's a great read. That's JP's dig telling me to go buy it and read it is what he's saying right now. No, I will send it to you. <laughs> I'm going to go do You'll it. You'll have it within a that. month. So when the book came out, listen, listen to this, guys. Uh, the book was released on February 11th, and there was no way that the publishing company had any way of knowing that that's my mom's birthday. Oh, oh wow. Right? That's really cool. A, and she died a very tragic accident. Like, in 2014, it was really horrible. But um, when they said to me, how about we release it on February 11th, I was like, what? I was like, how, 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 you know, how, you just can't make this shit up. And no, the book, I'm... the book went to number one on Amazon for new releases in wrestling. And I knocked off the Bella Twins. It was like, take that, Bella Twins. <laughs> Hall of Fame. Yeah, I... What? <laughs> is, Knuckles is a Hall of Famer, too. So, that's right. That's right. Uh, and that was Joe Bruin, who, uh, Joe Bruin reached out to me and said, hey, why don't you have Knuckle Nelson on the show? And you're someone who, like, I've always thought about hitting up, but like I said, like, you had sort of an intimidating reputation, and I knew you were out of the business. I saw you did Leo Connor's show, so then I was like, oh, thinking about it. And then when Joe hit me up, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to reach out to him. I'm so uh, glad So you thank did. you, Joe. I love I, Joe. Joe, and what he does for New England wrestling is unbelievable. There's, there, that's a whole other show. Joe is the man. But, Do you feel we got like we got like seven minutes left, and I want to I want to I want to follow up to the answer that you just kind of you spoke about, like how your mom's birthday in February eleventh. Like when you when you got started to get the clarity, do you really feel like uh, you had you just I'm gonna do that, and then you did it, and then I'm gonna do that, and then I did it. Do you feel like once you figured that part out that you were able to? Like just things just started to happen. Not necessarily that you were you weren't pushing any harder, 
you weren't doing anything more. You just, your attitude and your presentation and your thought process as far as um, reframing that, do you feel like that led to, and put you to where you're at now? Well, I would love to be on a long car ride with you, Josh. I like you and me are on the same wavelength, dude. We, we really are. <laughs> like, um, what, what you just, yes, what, what you just said is, is totally true. And not only in the writing aspect of it, but you mentioned the fourth step. If it was like writing a fourth step. And the, the, the things that came out of the writing process were incredible. While I was writing this book, three different people that I hadn't talked to in 20 years reached out to me out of the clear blue out of the clear blue. And yeah, I this. was able to reconnect with all three of them. I owed all of them an apology, no no doubt about that. And I was able to, to repair all these relationships and like just all the stuff, like, yes, a, a channel like to the, just to the universe opened up for me. And, um, and you know, the, the book that, uh, that Jay was just holding up, it came out of it. And that's me on the cover doing a headstand at the Newport Cliff Walks in Newport, Rhode Island. And I've I've looked at this picture over and over, guys. There are no cables. There's no wires there. He's actually doing that headstand. Yeah. No, and there were all these. The there was all these the little back, look at that. That's all crow pose. I'm doing crow pose in the back. But on the one on the front, the one on the front, um, there were all these little rocks on the ground, and they were all digging into my head. I was saying to the photographer, hurry up, hurry up, get this shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a really cool shot, though. That's it is it's awesome and i guess the reason i asked that question is it seems like the the more uh jp and i continue to, to do good things for for people the more you, that connection to the universe that you talk about mm -hmm. happens for us things just happen for us and um you know again i the, that part of it like the reconnection part it, it's so odd for me to listen to you say that because it, for me, it's the same thing. And I don't know. I can't remember the quote that Tim always said. I think it's the, the furthest 18 inches you'll travel is from your heart, your head to your heart. Mm. And like, that's to me, that's, that's the hardest part is like, I'll, I'll run a marathon. I'll do whatever you need to do. But it's that head to heart connection that I think a lot of us forget about. And it's really cool. And I'm really looking forward to one, the fact that your pro wrestling history uh for that and then too like the the yoga journey and that part and the, the introspection i think has a lot to add um to a, a generation of kids out there that probably need it and the fact that you're trained by bob evans just tells me that you're more than willing to share it thank you thanks for saying that and what you created like, uh, like knuckles nelson the name in New England, like I said, is very like legendary among the wrestling. And then the brotherhood on top of that is like a legend in its own right. And that's a tag team. That's a stable name that continues to be talked about in that people have tried to rekindle over the years and it just didn't have the same flame. So that to me as a fan just says what you were able to do with Eric Sprazier, Tony Rumble, and those guys with the Brotherhood. So, Well, if, if I could, when you mentioned legendary, and I appreciate you saying that, but I would like to give you a, a few of what I consider the legendary wrestlers from New England. From yes, my please. Area. Yes, yes. Gorgeous Chris Duffy, Brian yeah. Walsh, Tim McNeeny, Brittany Brown, um, uh, th th these, these people, the John Cronus, Perry Saturn, 
Oh. Triple H, these guys are the real, Matt Bloom are the real legends. Right now, you have Triple H in the position that he is in WWE, yeah, and, yeah. Matt, and Matt Bloom, the head trainer at the Performance Center, these guys are from Killer Kowalski's wrestling school in Malden, Massachusetts. Yeah. These guys are, every, Killer, Killer's philosophy is being trained down there in Orlando right now. It's being passed on yeah. and infused into any single person that comes through there, and those are the legends of, of New England, I, those guys right there. I know you're humble, and I I know that's what it is. But to me, as a wrestling fan that came up in New England, as a New England wrestling fan, your name is in there with them. Your I name is that. absolutely in more, there with Brittany Brown and Jay. There's one more I have to add too: the Boston Bad Boy Tony Rose. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So I never met Tony not once in my life, and I remember the day I read on OneWrestling.com that he passed away. And that affected me. Uh, so I can only imagine how it affected the people he got to meet and know. And, like, I've become friends with a lot of those guys. So, Do we have time for one more quick story? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in the airport, in John Wayne Airport in L.A. And the uh, back then I didn't have a cell phone. Nobody had cell phones yet. And I picked up uh, the, uh, a phone, a, a pay phone, and I called my answering machine, and Jeff Katz was on the machine letting me know that Tony Rumble had died, and I had, I was in total shock. I turned my back to the wall, and I slid down to the, to the, to the floor. All these sets of legs were going by me in the airport, going back and forth, and I still had to catch my flight. And I got over to where the, the, the you go through the X-ray machine, and and there were three pairs of brass knuckles in my in my uh, <laughs> my bag because I had driven across the country. I had driven across and I was going to fly back. So the state police in California, Chips is around me now, and they're like, um, this is a felony. You have three pairs of brass knuckles here. <laughs> and, I, and I explained to them who I was, and I opened up my bag, and it smelled like a wrestling locker room. So that helped <laughs> me. And they said, listen, here's the deal. We're going to let you catch your flight back to Boston, but we're going to keep the brass knuckles. So how ironic was it that the moment I found out Tony Rumble died, the brass knuckles were taken from me, and he was the guy that gave me that That's whole gimmick. Cool. It's just crazy, right? Yeah, I believe I believe strongly in signs. Um, I've seen way too many for them for me not to. And I think other people can believe what they believe, but yeah, that's uh <laughs> that was definitely something from Tony, I would say. Yeah. It's uh it's always humbling for me when I get an opportunity to talk to somebody that's part of pro wrestling history. So I, I wanna I wanna say thanks for, for taking the time and hanging out with us tonight for sure. Yes, get the book waking up from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat. Um, where can they find like you're Amazon. an author now? So you're back in the um you're back in the limelight, you're back at you know, you're an author now. Um, do you have social media that like fans can look at look for you on? Yeah, there's a waking up Facebook page, there's a waking up Instagram page, and you know, also there's a Knuckles Nelson page, and also uh my real name is Brendan Higgins and you know, and anybody can reach out anytime they want, especially people that are dealing with things like suicidal thoughts, drugs and alcohol, extreme anger and that. rage, all that stuff. Because you'll, you'll be hearing it from a guy that is Boston born and Boston bred, and I'll be Boston, Boston bad till I'm Boston, Boston dead. dead. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Josh, if you don't know, that was Tony Rumble right there. Yeah. Uh, that That's how Tony ended every uh, promo. And I, that's how Tony lived his life, from what I understand. So I love that. That just uh, is it kind of, is it kind of like my flag? Is it kind of like my flag, Montana, till I die? Yes. Okay. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Knuckles, uh, thank you so much. Guys, get the book, Waking Up, from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat. I'm going to show for the people that watch the video on YouTube, um, on Amazon. Uh, Brendan Higgins is the author, if that's easier to search by. But get the book. Look them up on YouTube. Like, there's some old NWA New England stuff on YouTube, CWA and all of that stuff. Um, It's just great wrestling. Like, that whole era of wrestling is, like, that's my jam. That's where I grew up. That's where I love it. And, uh, Knuckles, it means a ton that you did this with us, so I appreciate that. And anytime you want to come on, anytime you want to push the book, just let us know, and the floor is yours. Thank you, guys. The pleasure was all mine. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. I spend too much time on Gaia. That's why I, I, I I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm, I'm with you. I spend and too much time there. I didn't just love that you did the Tony Rumble sign off. I love what you said before that about the um, anyone going through the dark times because that's something that we've been preaching for a couple of years now. Um, reach out to us. Reach out to Brendan. Reach out to Knuckles. Um, any one of the three of us, I can guarantee, will respond to you. Oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of answers to that stuff in my book. They really are. That's 